welcome to the Big Smoke Podcast. We've got a full house here today. I'm John Cribbs, co-founder of the Pink Smoke. With me, live from Calvary, we have got Carly Schmidt. Hello. We've also got Marcus Pinn of Pinland Empire. Yo, hello. You don't want to give Carly more of an introduction than that? Like, internet impresario? <laughs> Carly Schmidt, the the only funny person on Twitter, Carly Schmidt. You don't want oh, to no, that's, that's way too much. Just, yeah, underplay it. I don't want to set up anybody's Okay, like, under, underplaying it. The only non-irritating, humorous person <laughs> on Twitter. And Christopher Funderburg. That's me. Hi, Carly. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for being on this hey. episode. It's nice to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me. Today we're going to be discussing uh, the new Olivier Sayas film, which is called Nonfiction. The original French title is Double Vie, or Double Life, uh, just came out. Uh, I think that we're just going to start by asking, what is everyone's opinion of Sayas in general? Are we, are, we, are we all fans? Or Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm not a... Com- Sorry, I'm not a completist, so I, uh, I, will, I will defer to someone who has seen more of his catalog. Which ones have you seen, Carly? Uh, other than Cold Water, I've seen the last four that he's done in Summer Hours. Okay. So I, uh, I'm more familiar with his later work, for sure. Kind of more of his uh, intellectuals sitting around and philosophizing type films. Which started sort of around Summer Hours, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the plot of this film, this is a very low-key film very dialogue heavy film where there is not a lot of conflict uh and lots of lots of talking uh it's mainly two couples we have elaine who is a book publisher hotshot book publisher married to selena uh who is a tv actress uh the other couple is leonard who is a uh, writer of auto fiction roman eclef's very uh um sketched from real life sort of things that are kind of it's kind of going out of fashion he's married to valerie who works for SA for a politician. Um, and there are revelations throughout the film of uh, the connections between these people. Uh, but I'm just going to read real quick what Taseya said the movie is about, which I think is kind of an interesting way to open it. So he says, digital economy questions whatever seemed most stable and solid in society and the reality around us only to dissolve on mere contact. Double V is not about analyzing the workings of the new economy. Its mere modest intent is to observe how these questions beleaguer us personally, emotionally, and sometimes humorously. And indeed, this is a movie about the digital age and things like books coming to an end, the, the classic uh, publishing of books in uh, favor of things like ebooks. Um, did anyone get, uh, Carly, let me just ask you, did you? Uh, relate to the this kind of a thing as someone who you just told us you have a large collection of books about your house in this digital uh, how do you feel about uh, things kind of all going in that direction uh, I'll tell you what's interesting is it's it very much has the format where there are these very long talking scenes where um, it's very much a back and forth dialogue where someone will say, um, well, you know, the traditional book industry is dying. I think that's bad. And people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there'll be someone else who chimes in to say, well, actually, have you thought about this? And they, um, they lob back an equally um, intelligent sounding point. And uh, I, I think the interesting thing is, I don't know, um, I don't really know what Assayas's kind of 
uh, opinion about about whether or not he thinks it's good or bad that the that the the industry is dying out. Um, but it's um it's it's interesting to to see. Um, to see something that we would typically see this type of debate on something like Twitter, um, to see it, someone actually make a film about it. I mean, making a film about the publishing industry is maybe kind of sounds like watching paint dry. So um, it was interesting to see someone actually wanting to tackle something that can sound so dry. Yeah, well, it's interesting that he wants to observe, you know, the personal impact it's having on the characters more than kind of having an opinion about it. I feel like even going back yeah. to summer hours, you know, this idea of this house being taken over by these, you know, the, the, these young people who, you know, aren't going to treat it like mm. it's been treated for, for generations. You know, it's sort of a it's, a it's sort of a shrug, you know, it's like, well, it's something else now. You know, it was something yeah. that era is over. It's been lost. And now it's kind of transitioning into this new purpose and this new generation. So it's kind of interesting that he kind of uses the characters to kind of make both points. It was like frustrating mm. for me to hear these characters voice concerns that I agree with. And mm-hmm. it sounds so goddamn ridiculous when someone else says it, you know, uh, like yeah. having to like be like, uh, like such a funny duddy about, you know, uh, I love the printed word and I love, you know, old things and I don't want new things to take over. It makes me feel like a grandpa on like the, the patio, you know, absolutely. but I think that there's a humor in that in the movie as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I do think that um, the, the younger female character, I don't, uh, I don't know if we've talked about her in your intro, the. Um, or, uh, yeah. Who's Alan's uh, works for Alan kind of doing yes. the digitizing and all that. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of is there basically as like a standing character almost for like the devil's advocate kind of point of view of we need to move everything into the future. Um, so I think the film really kind of needs to have that character to make the, the dialogue work. But I, I did kind of feel maybe you guys can chime in about how you felt that um, it, when she, whenever she talked, she did. It was kind of like a almost a Sorkin-esque um, type character to me, very kind of verbose, very confident, but um, I did kind of feel like I was listening to a TED talk whenever she would start to chime in about how it's fine that, you know, the libraries are dying because the internet is such a democracy. It's interesting because that character definitely, I felt like Asaius had the least sympathy for. Yeah. But I don't know if he actually did or if just that I disliked her. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I felt like when you say it sounds like a TED talk, to me it's immediately like, yeah, it sounds like one of those fucking dipshits from a TED talk. Not like some like technocratic visionary who's going to lead yeah. us to this wonderful future. It's like, it sounds like a fucking idiot. That's who gives TED talks, you know, people who are completely deluded about the meaning and the value of the work that they're doing and the meaning and the value mm-hmm. of the technological advances that they're advocating for. You know, they're essentially, it's a place for charlatans. And she had a lot of that to her and I wonder if Asaius actually felt that way about her or not um, and, uh, and I gotta say it's interesting this movie uh, I've been saying for a while now after, especially after I saw Summer Hours which is one of my favorite of Asaius's movies that I think I really prefer his rich people problem movies like mm. uh, you know like Summer Hours and Clouds of Sils Maria uh, to his like sort of pseudo genre dabbling movies like Demon Lover and Boarding Gate and Carlos. Um, this was the first movie where I was like, eh, 
I think I'm sick of hearing him talk about rich people problems. I think mm. that I'm actually tired of this, and I think I don't like any of these people, and all of their concerns feel uh, ludicrously unsympathetic to me. Even when I agree with them, even when they're saying things I agree with, I just, I just felt like finally tired of like rich French people like, you know, oh, you know, rubbing their hands and feeling so fraught with, with peril about the future while they're at their gorgeous seaside vacation homes taking months <laughs> off at a time. You know what I mean? It felt a lot like, I don't know. And I think Something in the Air, his movie about like the student uh, radicals of the late 60s changed my sort of soured me a little bit where <coughs> I think he really believed in the kids in those movies as being actual radicals and not being a bunch of phonies and sellouts. It just made me sort of go like, I don't know how much self-awareness he has. And it was a movie that I spent a lot of nonfiction going, what does he think about these people? I think he really likes them all. And that's sort of strange. I, I had a similar kind of feeling just because uh, I do like his twist on genre films. And I kind of felt like I wanted this to be an erotic thriller set in the publishing industry in a way. You know? <laughs> um, but I don't know, Marcus, you jumped up to say that you were a fan of his when I asked. Let me just, which which version of Assayist do you prefer of the two? Yeah, was, well, just to backtrack a little bit, Chris kind of more eloquently just took the words out of my mouth. That's pretty much what I was going to say regarding this movie. Although, I mean, I guess I enjoyed it, but it's still just kind of like, just don't do this. Like, don't do this anymore, please. Um, But to go back to, but like, it's funny though, because Chris kind of downed the movie. Like, I'm I'm a boarding gate demon lover. uh, Clouds of social media. I like Olivia Sayas when he's just kind of like weird and like, what the fuck are you trying to do? Or, oh, personal shopper. Personal Shopper, Irma Vett. Yeah. Like that's I the, like those movies. I don't want to say sure, that sure. I don't like those movies. I just, something, it's weird. Something about his Rich People Problems movies, I just really responded to. Yeah, no, and you know, um, shit, the other thing, thing that, you know, that I wanted to say was just like, the, the, I guess the best thing that I can take from nonfiction, I mean, based on his last, you know, few movies, Clouds of Maria, Personal Shopper, this, I guess the one good thing is I don't know what to expect from him next. Like, I never know what to, and I guess I kind of like that, but I don't want another, like, you know, yeah, Summer Hours type movie. I just, I want, you know, something he's never done before. Like, when he tries to do a genre, like, when he tries to do, like, an espionage movie, like, Boarding Gate, or when he tries to do, like, a ghost movie. Like, when he tries to do something for the first time, you know, like, you know, a movie about making a movie and the, you know, the the Irma Vep, or even Clean. Like, he had made a movie like Clean before, you, you know, so... Yeah, like that's the kind of Olivia Sayas that I like. This this movie, the best I can say about this movie is like it's cute, and yeah, kind of go like to, mm-hmm. to to like also what Chris was saying. Also, you know, and he we're not the first people to say this. Everybody's been saying like, oh, this is Olivia Sayas is uh, you know he's doing the Woody Allen thing, and I couldn't agree more because a lot of like especially like. I guess like the late 70s Woody Allen and like a lot of the early mid 90s Woody Allen, it's the same stuff. It's like Upper East Side, like wealthy Manhattan people mm-hmm. like who are also kind of bored and just getting into who like, are like bored affairs and, and artists. 
Exactly, exactly. So I, I think, but, but, but I don't think people are making that Woody Allen comparison because of that. I, I don't think, I think it's just because it's like, oh, all the dialogue and, and like the, the relationship stuff. I don't think people are really peeling back the layer and going like, actually, it, it's very Woody Allen-esque for like really shallow, I don't know if that's the right word, but just like for kind of deep, deeper reasons. And I think, you know, uh, you're, you're seeing, but that's just, that's my, my opinion. I I also, I wanted to ask both of you about, I feel like for me, the main character of this movie is sort of the Juliette Binoche character, Mm -hmm. but it's actually who's an actress who's in like a sort of TV police procedural that she's very bored with doing, but she's very famous and makes a ton of money is, um, the guy who writes the Romana Clef novels, uh, this guy, Vincent McCagney, as as Leonard, right? And I, unlike the stars who are movie stars, who are really compelling actors and like movie star charismatic performers, this guy's some fucking schlub. And in the movie, his, his character is like an intellectually dishonest sort of double speaking pretentious guy and i think that performer combined with this character i really disliked him right and he sort of looks to describe this guy he's not been in much else he he sort of looks and carries himself like a, a chubby french greg turkington right that's that's sort of what this guy is like and i was just wondering if you guys well, two things, Carly. <laughs> One, Carly, I want to talk to you about because I was saying to you right after we saw it back at TIFF last year that between Let the Sunshine In, like the collection of fucking dorks and losers in that movie, and the star of this one, that, you know, the black fuckbox in High Life was Benoche's, like, most attractive on-screen partner last year. And yeah. you were like, this guy actually has something. And I couldn't believe it. So yeah. I'm wondering if you, like, what you yeah. actually thought about that character and, and the performance and all that. I'll tell you what it is. I think it goes back to the fact that this is a film about, like, very attractive people with money. And for the most part, it's very small stakes. And so I think that I liked that they had someone who felt slightly more realistic if you've ever known kind of failing writers or people who are trying to get into the industry someone who is around people who are successful and he's got kind of that air of desperation about him and he's a little bit vulnerable and you can kind of like uh smell how sweaty he is because he's just like so anxious and so vulnerable and i think like uh, I think the film really needed him as a contrast to, you know, the rest of the very beautiful, successful French people. Um, so, and I liked kind of wondering what Juliet saw in him really when she's uh, married to uh, the Guillaume Kennedy character who is, uh, you know, this beautiful, sexy. sexy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And super successful. And like just kind moneyed, of naturally like, moneyed from the aristocracy kind of guy. Uh, you get the impression, I believe his whole family yeah. is like rich, like he inherited the publishing company kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like everything about yes. him is perfectly in line. Yeah, so I, mean, I think that was one of the more interesting aspects of the film for me was kind of wondering um, what, how the relation, because I think maybe remind me if you can remember it, that, that they had been having an affair for a while. It wasn't kind of a, it wasn't a short dalliance. So kind yeah. of wondering what that relationship was based on. I, I did find that intriguing. Which, and I did. Which Star I, Wars I, movie did they hook up in? Is it the Attack Force of Wagons. Oh, okay. No, it's The Force Wagons. So it's not, not that long. 
Yeah, okay, I see your point. No, no, I don't, I don't mean that. I meant like it's not going on since Attack of the Clones. You're right that it's been going on for several years, at least. Yeah. But that actor, um, so when I saw it at TIFF, um, Asaius was there and he was talking about him and he is a well-known theater actor and stage director in France, which kind of explains why he doesn't have a lot of stuff on IMDb, but he's uh, kind of well-regarded within France as, as like a stage actor. For me, the uh, of the cast, the highlight for me was uh, Nora Hemzawi, who plays yeah. Mallory, uh, the writer's wife. Um, she, apparently, she's a stand-up comedian. This is her first leading role. Yeah. Uh, I thought she was really terrific. I thought all her scenes were really funny. I thought that she yeah, had so a good handle yeah, on uh, how to play that character. So it was funny that, you know, in a movie with you know, Julia Pinoche and, and other people who you've seen in films before, that she was the newcomer, but uh, she... And, uh, yeah. All the best parts of the movie, I think, kind of revolved around her. And if the and if the, pu- the young woman in the publishing industry was sort of the the human embodiment of all of the bullshit of the future of publishing and technology, uh, Valerie, that character was sort of the opposite. The the person who literally doesn't care what's going on yeah. with her husband and all of that. The person who has no interest in all of the bullshit of the future of publishing and technology, who's who's caught up in entirely different things. And so she, yeah, she completely stands out. She's, she's a deliberate contrast to what's going on. But it's interesting because you have to ask yourself, who would you rather get stuck talking to at a party? You know, Valerie with her heated nihilistic uh, political ideas or Laura who's going to talk to you about, you know, how tweets are like haikus, you know? Yeah. Like, those characters, yeah. like, would you rather be stuck well, with? Well, also, because isn't Valerie a bit of a centrist in it, too? She she has a very much, like, she's not politically idealistic. She's like a political realist. For a candidate, she really believes in. And mm. so I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, there's literally not a single person in this movie I would want to talk to for 15 <laughs> seconds. Even <laughs> Well, it's funny, because Binoche, you know, talks about her television show in ways that, you know, she's obviously kind of embarrassed by it you know she knows it's just genre crap or whatever she clearly looks down on it and yet she her attraction to leonard the writer seems to be that she appreciates that he is still producing this kind of outdated sort of auto fiction you know this uh finds integrity in this sort of you know mode of writing that's sort of gone out of fashion almost as a way like if she's going to like hold on to any kind of artistic integrity herself She kind of, you know, but looks to this that, guy. That character has no artistic integrity. He's he's one of the the uh, I find to be one of the the sort of sleaziest characters in the entire movie. That he'll say anything. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Advantage yeah. that he'll he's he has sort of this wall of pretension around his work that gets skewered by everybody very very easily. But at the same time, you're exactly right. He occupies a position of like cultural and artistic realness in some way. He's the real artist, even though he's the biggest phony. So he's he's definitely a phony. And I think, you know, that it's her, it's Selena, who sees like, you know, an artistic integrity within him that isn't there, you know? Yeah. That uh, she's kind of holding on to this idea that uh, he, but, but I think the best, uh, the, the funniest moments in the movie are when he comes home to Valerie and he's wanting to know, are you having an affair? Are you seeing someone else? And he's, you know, interrogating her when he's the one who's been having this affair for years. And then when he finally admits it to her, 
her reaction, as you said, was, you know, like, so what? I don't, you know, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sort of another thing where it makes me wonder exactly what Asseus feels about all this. Because obviously it's a French, seems like a French thing to have affairs is a lot more casual than it is to Americans. Um, definitely. And it would definitely yeah. seem like these characters would consider it a big deal. Um, but what about the Canadians? <laughs> understand there's a Canadian with us now. and they have Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe that would fly in Quebec. Uh, <laughs> not so much here. <laughs> Um, I did want to say as well, I think, uh, speaking to your point a little bit, I do think that uh, that character definitely gets let off really easily by a stage. I remember there's a, there's kind of a subplot about uh, his last, Leonard's last book was really controversial because he was writing this very thinly veiled uh, female love interest, and he talks about her um, in ways that some people argue like are quite degrading or there's very graphic uh, romance scenes and there are these people saying like is it is it moral for you to yeah. be putting these details in your book if that person didn't consent to them yeah and, specifically uh, and, like woke twitter is coming after him specifically yeah but the, mm-hmm. like on the movie but i was i was thinking like oh it'll be interested to see um how this gets handled um and then he winds up getting let off very easily because of Juliette Binoche, who it's it's based on. We find out she was like, well, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe um, the woman that he was sleeping with really really enjoyed it. It's fine. Um, and I thought it was so interesting for a film that's so talky and is so much about values, wants to hash hash all of these issues out that it was kind of raised and dropped so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that's this whole movie is it's sort of it's very slight. So even mm. as, it's, as it's handling sort of seemingly big ideas, it, there's, there's like a fundamental like slightness and smallness to this movie that it doesn't pursue any of its ideas to extremes. Like the most uncomfortable it gets is when he, this character, the, the, the romantic left novelist character does like a radio interview and he sort of gets uh, sort of nailed for these issues that you're talking about, Carly, where, where, these sort of get brought up to him and he sort of sweats and he has these very weak and ridiculous answers to it. But beyond that, there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any real consequences to it. But I just think that, that fundamentally this movie doesn't, <laughs> doesn't want to go to the extremes in any way. And I was thinking that for me, cause I like this film that, seeing it was probably hurt seeing it in the film festival context. Mm. I was seeing five or six movies a day and up at Toronto this year, I saw an incredible amount of just knock you through the wall, phenomenal movies. You know, I saw, uh, Corrieta's new film Shoplifters. I saw Carlos Regatta's Our Time. I saw, uh, any number of movies that were just like drop dead phenomenal this year. Mm-hmm. And a movie like this, that's sort of modest, uh, I feel like if I'd just seen it on its own, I would have had a higher estimation of it. Do any of you guys have that experience with it? What is, what are you, what is, I think, yes. Go ahead, Marcus. No, I didn't think about, I didn't even think of it that way until you just said that. Um, I don't, uh, I guess if I just, just from the name, if it's in a sales movie, I guess I'd see it. But in retrospect, I'm glad I saw it in the festival because I don't know if I'd want to pay full ticket price to see this. (laughs) like again it's fine like the movie's fine it's cute but i don't know if i'd want to pay 16 17 dollars to see it um 
I guess the, you know, the only thing that was going through my mind was uh, I kept being reminded because you brought up our time this, that, you know, the, the, the author, he reminded me of the Phil Burgers character from, uh, from our time. And they're, they're also kind of, <laughs> but they're also in similar predicaments too, where they're like, in this the, character you know, should have been named Phil Burgers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I no, think, no. Uh, I, I think in terms of, they're both, they're both about infidelity. They're both sort of, and they, but they both look kind of look alike. Yeah, they're like, and like Carly says, they're sort of like orbiting real artists or successful people. They're sort of in the orbit of people more important than them. I was just going to say, oh, well, it, it's in the same vein. I was just going to say they're both kind of full of shit. Yeah. Uh, I just think one, one, is, one is a little more clever, and, and that being it, Phil Burgers in our time is a little more, he's presented a little better, whereas like, you know, our guy in um, nonfiction, he's so yeah. visibly just like, you're a dummy. Like, we could, you're very transparent. We can see right through you. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I just don't know what to make of any of that. And I guess these are intentional ironies that he's, that Assayas is setting up with the movie to say, have all these people concerned about the future of literature and publishing, and then have the one author be sort of a fake you know, and sort of, right, 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 you know, right, yeah. uh, that, that they're in, engaged in all these high-minded talks. And then the one real example of somebody writing literature is a bit of a joke. Um, that's got to be on purpose on, yeah. on his part. John, what I just feel about? in terms of his filmography, uh, you know, if a filmmaker is prolific and then wants to make like kind of a, a backseat movie like this one, uh, he shouldn't be faulted for that, obviously, but just with the, you know, how good, Sills Maria and um, Personal Shopper were, uh, and not only were they good, but they were like a, a a good blending of his two sorts of films, where it was they were weird genre films, but also about rich people, you know, in their yeah. lives. Um, so to kind of go back to a film that is just very plainly about rich people felt a little bit like a step back. It kind of made me realize that he and Francois Ozone have got a lot in common in terms of their careers. Where oh, I feel man. like. Ozone yeah. every once in a while will make like a movie that seems like wow that was that wow that was something you know that yeah. was really something that's and then one he'll, of the greatest directors in the world right yeah, now. yeah and then he'll yeah. step back and do something very slight that'll be like oh okay that feels sort of like ozone tv to me but whatever yeah like why did why did he make this uh, yeah. I feel with ozone i have a lot of you know wow did he not put full effort into that but this one to me feels like Asayas full Assayas. This doesn't feel like a minor film. I feel like it fits very coherently in with the rest of his work. In some ways, it feels like the end of the tributary to me, that I think he's taken the Rich People Problem movie as far as he can take it, but it doesn't feel like uh, him getting derailed or something. It doesn't feel like this is a disaster and what was he thinking or anything like that. No, I, yeah, I don't think it's a derailing. As, yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel off model like Peter Luke does or something where you mm. leave the theater going like, oh, why, is, why did he make that? Yeah, no, I think it just feels like a step back more than anything. Like, it feels like an instant B minus, you know, compared to like the other stuff that he's going to do. And like, all I could do is maybe work itself up from there, um, just compared to the other films. So let me ask you, Marcus, since you're the biggest Assayas fan of all of us, did you feel like this movie was missing something? Or did you just feel like it was just a slight film? I just felt it was a slight film. I don't think it was missing anything. I can't, I think he set out to do, to do what he wanted to do. I think to ask that, it's almost a bigger question. So it's more like, 
I wish he'd done something else in terms of something that was missing. But like, I'm pretty sure he set out what he would, what he wanted to do. I don't think anything, anything was missing right down to the way it ended. It had like a nice little ending that brought everybody together and all that stuff. Like, so on a surface level, didn't you guys find that ending super fucking depressing? I was thinking about this movie too. Something about this movie depressed me so much. And that ending where the novelist character and his girlfriend are like going to have a baby and he's happy. It made me like want to fucking kill myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I see where you're coming from. It, 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 the, my, my thing, it's hard. You bring, Again, you bring up a good point, but it's just hard to be depressed when it's like, when it's that setting, when it's that view, when they're all just like being rich and happy. So it's hard to be <laughs> depressed. I, I, I guess I, I, I got faked out easily by that ending. <laughs> it's just like, don't get me wrong. I'm fully aware of what everyone did and what they're doing and who they are as people. But when it ended, it's just like, hey, sometimes slightly annoying people get away with whatever. And it's just kind of how it is. It almost reminded me of the end. Did you, you guys ever see that movie, Nasty Baby? Came out like two years ago. Yes, yes, unfortunately. Yeah, now that movie, it, it's similar, but it's also very. It's it's by the same guy that did that uh, fake Get Out movie, Tyrell. Yeah. But it's um the ending is really similar to that, where it's just like, hey, privileged people just kind of get their way, and that's just kind of how it is. No no consequences. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were zero consequences for anyone. And you kind of, the way that the film was set up, you kind of, you never felt like any anything of any consequence was around the corner. There was never kind of this impending sense of doom. And that makes it hard to get emotionally involved in the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just seeing gross people happy makes me unhappy. <laughs> I guess that's all it is. I have nowhere else to tell it. I was thinking about this too. This whole podcast I've been thinking about, like, there's got to be some way I can work it in. But I just have to tell my anecdote about when I saw Assayas, that for some reason, this would have been like 2010. It probably would have been right around the time of Carlos. I was at the Mac store in Soho, right? And he was in there buying a Mac or just looking at computers. And I was there with my, my very young son and my, my the dog I had at the time. And he saw me recognize him, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, just like a very well put together, nice young Frenchman. He had like a, not even young at this point, he had like an over the shoulder bag. And he like opened his body towards me like, ah, yeah, you can come talk yeah. to me. Yeah, it's me. And I was like, I'm not gonna fucking talk to Olivia Sayas in the Mac store. But something about his willingness to like talk to me it felt like super needy the way the Leonard character in this movie feels super needy in some way it just (laughs) felt like it felt like I like your movies man leave me alone and it's a contrast Uh, I'm not going to be publishing your new book sorry Olivia (laughs) yeah exactly exactly but it was a big contrast to this is funny I just putting this together in my head right now I saw Maggie Chung who was his ex-wife and Mm -hmm. is obviously a huge star in Hong Kong uh, on the Upper West Side once and she, I recognized her on the street and I felt so bad because it was just me and her on, on the street uh, up, up on like, it was probably like 82nd Street up there in Broadway. Uh, and she tensed up so much 
when mm. she realized I was recognizing her. And I felt so bad because I knew one of the reasons she interviewed, she said she's moved to America is so she won't get swamped everywhere she goes and that there's no place in Asia she can live without just getting swamped by people. And I did want to stop and say, I will leave you alone. I will absolutely leave you alone. Don't worry. But of course, I just kept them walking. And I just thought that's such a funny contrast between the two of them. You just ended up chasing her, shouting, heroic trio! Yeah, no, I would have been like, oh my <laughs> no, god. You, you have to chase her, saying, I'll leave you alone. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm absolutely <laughs> going to leave you alone once you admit that, like, um, I'm trying to make a Days of, Wild, Days of Being Wild reference. I, <laughs> I'm going to call your phone booth here, and you better answer it. It's funny, the last phone booth in New York is right around in that area. But, uh, yeah. No, it was one of the, yeah, I don't know what it means. I guess, and also she's an actress too, like Julia Pinocha's actress is, is, is the same sort of thing where she sort of affects being exhausted with her being super famous TV show. But then at the same time, she keeps signing on to do additional seasons and clearly derives a lot of pleasure from being rich and famous. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish I could tie this into something interesting. I wish I could make these relevant, but it's it's funny. It's hard for me to watch his movies without picturing being like, "Oh, you can come talk to me," you know, kind of kind of thing. He's a he's a, seems like an interesting person. If if you search on YouTube enough, there's like a couple of video interviews where he gives where he does the whole like not as snobbish, but still like kind of like the um, the Oasis like Radiohead type thing where like he gets asked a question and he kind of laughs before every answer or like he'll smirk like kind of like like everything is like kind of like inside baseball like amusing thing before he answers I've seen I've seen him do that quite a few times um also something about him the the obvious essay is stand-in and something in the air the like supposed radical who then just goes and gets a job from his uncle or whatever in the film industry at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. that character makes fun of Simonon, the Belgian mystery writer, and him being such an obvious uh, Assayas stand-in makes me really angry at Assayas for some reason. I watch his movies too, and I'm like, who do you think you are to criticize Simonon? Simonon's a hundred times the writer you are too when I watch them. So I don't know. Maybe just I'm projecting too much of my own class issues onto this into this movie in some way. Maybe I'm projecting too much and yeah. you guys are all you guys are all too mentally healthy to engage with art anymore. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting that you say that because um, I was just thinking because I'd, I'd recently uh, seen a film that was part of um, Aki Karazmaki's, he made a trilogy of films that are called the Proletariat Trilogy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was, so I was thinking about the last three films that Asayas did and um, would, it, I don't know, would it be <laughs> It's kind of like the the opposite, the opposite end of that. So I don't know. Do we want to we want to call it trilogy? The yeah, exactly. Trilogy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, twenty years from now, that will be the the Criterion box set. But Summer Hours is his ultimate bourgeois movie. It has to be it the bourgeois yeah. tetralogy. It's the ultimate, and it's the best one. I think Summer Hours might be the best movie he ever made, and that's funny. Well, because Summer Hours is also incredibly slight. And so yeah. I don't know what standard I'm applying to this film. Next to Sils Marie, it's my favorite Summer Hours, absolutely. But something that we were talking about before we started recording was uh, Carly just went back and saw Cold Water, 
and uh, the, his 90s output is another thing that I kind of compare to Ozone in that I followed gorgeous French actresses to them, like Virginie <laughs> Ledouane, who was in Cold Water in late August, early September. But going back to visit that now, how does that hold up? Um, and I'd never, so I'd never seen it before, obviously, but I thought it was, I thought it was really fascinating because just to kind of read the blurb without knowing anything about it, to hear like these two rebellious young people, they're, they're on the run um, and they're, they're in love, uh, but perhaps not the most rational people. You kind of think you know what you're getting into, but it did feel like there, that like there was a lot at stake. It really did feel, feel like a film where, um, there's just kind of an air of doom hanging over the whole thing. There's a, I don't know if you remember, but about 20 minutes in, the um, the young man, his friend brings brings a bunch of dynamite to school and is like, oh, here's that dynamite you wanted and shows him how to use it. And you think like, what what on earth is going on? And there's this amazing, there's this amazing scene halfway through where um, the, the female protagonist, she has escaped uh, the mental hospital and she's walking around a party and it's this very, very long close shot of her walking around this party, yeah. slowly cutting her hair off. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely, um, it's magnetic to watch. It's just really kind of terrifying. And it's very um, similar to the party scene in Something in the Air. It's a very similar vibe as far as like party getting sort of big and out of control in the countryside. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, that, that that was part of that whole like TV series, right? With U.S. Go Home and the Shanta Ackerman one and the, uh, I forgot who else was in it. it, it, it was yeah. All- yeah, and they, and they all have parties. Feature, they all have like a what's that? And they expanded it into a feature, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Marcus, uh, how does this film compare to Todd Solondz's nonfiction? <laughs> oh wow. Well. Oh. oh. Yeah. I don't know. We're talking about storytelling, right? Right, right. I like storytelling better than than I like nonfiction. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so I guess to start and world's biggest Todd Solondz fan right here, everybody. <laughs> Uh, my, the, 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 the Marcus pin in his twenties was, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, welcome to the dollhouse is still like amazing and wiener dog is really good, but I, I don't like him as much as, 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 as I used to. I think that, I mean, once when we were in Toronto in 2011, I think that's when it started when I saw dark horse and I started thinking back on a few things. It was just like, Oh, I've been in denial for a while, but um, no, I'm, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick uh, storytelling o- o- over this. If, if I, if I had to choose. I probably would too. <laughs> oh, really? I'd pick nonfiction in a heartbeat. Just for, I mean, the soundtrack, the Bell and Sebastian soundtrack is way better in storytelling. The music is way better alone. You, so. you have to be able to stomach Bell and Sebastian to have that opinion, Marcus. I have a big Which stomach. I cannot. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for Say's next film, Wasp Network with uh, Anna de Armas and Adria Arjona and Penelope Cruz. That's an all-star and, lineup right there. And Gail Garcia Bernal. Right, and oh. Bernal. Oh. Yeah, for, the, for everybody else. Oh. And doesn't, isn't, uh, all I know about that one, it's, it's the Carlos guy is back, right? I've only heard it as him reteaming with uh, Edgar Ramirez. Edgar Ramirez, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's what I've heard it presented as. It, right? it, it is listed as a thriller, so it'll definitely be a change of pace. Mm-hmm. Or sort of the going back to the boarding gate sort of movie, which would be fun. Uh, possibly. <laughs> Maybe. Is there any more we need to cover about this film? Carly, Marcus, is there anything you wanted to chime in? Yes. Um, I, 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 I think 
this isn't going to be like his biggest movie, but I do, you know, whether I'm scrolling Facebook or Twitter or coming across a couple of articles, I think this is going to get like a decent release. So I, I guess I'm kind of, wor- uh, I'm a little worried. This may be some people's like first Assayas film or one of their first Assayas films. So if whoever's listening to this and if you fall into that category, inc- either encourage folks to seek out other stuff or if you're one of those people, please see, you know, like watch, I mean, in my opinion, watch like I'm, I'm worried that people who jo- have only seen Sills Maria and Personal Shopper will see this and be like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I the guess, person. Yeah, I, I'm just think because I'm, so I'm I'm a total completist when it comes to a say, so it's hard for me to even. It's, I, I think that's a good point. I, I feel like this kind of fall. This would fall in line with those last two movies you met. I mean, it's definitely ranked number three of those three movies. I just feel I don't. I mean, could be called, I don't want people to think Personal Shopper, Sils Maria, and Nonfiction are a good like you know, summation of, of Isaias, to be quite honest, as much as I love Clouds of Sils Maria and kind of like Personal Shopper. So, yeah. But yeah. they're, they're a fair summation. Uh, I, think that, I yes. think that he has some other stuff, but I don't think it, it would be entirely unfair if, he, if you include Personal Shopper, which is weird enough to give an impression of him. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Personal Shopper is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> or pretty weird. Yeah. Carly, any, any other thoughts that we did not force upon you? <laughs> That you uh, talk about. Uh, no, I was just going to say it was, it was weird watching the trailer for this because I think the person who cut it very much, um, they use the same very kind of plunky, jazzy acoustic guitar that you're used to seeing in like the later Woody Allen films. And it did really feel like they're going to, they're going to market this like, oh, you miss Woody Allen, right? Like here's, here's some kind of Woody yeah. Allen-esque romantic comedy for you um and uh yeah i i think um i think yeah people should definitely look more into his back catalog before seeing this like see cold water it's on criterion um guys thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this movie carly thank you marcus no problem thank you guys i'm glad i got got you guys switched there (laughs) um Uh, We are going to be back uh, in a couple weeks with another Pulp Fiction title, and we'll be back next month with a new movie. Thank you, everyone, for your support, and everyone have a great night. You too. Bye.